Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fundamentals Podcast. I am your host, Harley. Joining me on this episode to discuss one of my personal favourite sitcoms of all time is writer and film critic James Rodriguez. James was kind enough to jump onto the show to discuss Community. In its sixth season run from 2009 to 2015, Community became somewhat of a cult classic amongst sitcom lovers, and we get into all of the reasons why in this discussion. Of course, we talk about the setup, the premise, its use of parody, the characters, and so much more. I had so much fun doing this conversation, and I'm sure you guys will love it too. So, without further ado, let's get to the conversation. This is Community with James Rodriguez. Hello, James, and welcome to the Fundamentals Podcast. Hi, Harley. Thanks so much for having me on. Our pleasure's all mine, James. So when I put the call out for the uh, sitcom summer series, you were one of the first people to come up, and you've brought what is, I have to say, one of my absolute personal favourites, so I'm really excited to talk about this today, and that is Community. So so I want to know, James, just from your point of view, uh, when did you first see this, and why did you bring it to this podcast today? This is very much a case of something coming out at the right time for me because I was in college when I first discovered this and season one was airing on Viva, this music channel which is now defunct in the UK and they only aired series one and it was coming out while series two was going on in the US. And yeah, the show took ages to reach the UK but I just Mm. remember just randomly looking through my free view box and settling on two episodes. The two episodes were the one with the STD fair and which I was like, yeah, that's fine. I'll see what the next Mm. episode is like. And then it was the Christmas one where they stand up to the bully played by Anthony Michael Hall. And it's, Oh yeah. And I just remember Mm. the bit where Troy gives Jeff advice to go with a Forrest Whitaker eye. And I'm just thinking, what is this? This is winning yeah. me over. And yeah. and I just fell in love with it as I w- went through the first season. And yeah, it took ages to reach the UK. So I just thought, I f- why not? I'll go online and watch it through other means. I <laughs> even used a VPN to go through the weird Yahoo screen season. And yeah, yeah, I remember that. Mm. Yeah, those are odd times. But mm. yeah, I was very much like in love with it and keeping up week after week when I could. And also feel it's quite an important show for me because I was quite introverted and discovering my love for films, but I was quite hesitant of like speaking out because it's always that fear of speak out, get ridicule, and then I just close myself off again. But seeing Abed speak so openly about films, what they mean to him, and just pop culture references was very encouraging to me. And it was an absolute hoot to watch. Brilliant. I love that there's a personal connection there to, mm. to a sitcom. I, I find that something that has come up with each of the guests is like there's always something that resonates with the with, with my guest that comes on. And I think that's a beautiful thing about comedy and about TV in general. So... I mean, yeah, I, I can totally see why you do that. I mean, I, I would say straight off the bat, actually, um, 
what I've normally done in the past with this is just we look at sort of the cast and the show as a whole. And I absolutely agree with you mm. for, the, for the most part. I was the same. I think I discovered this. I'm pretty sure all of it was on Prime or Netflix. I think it is now anyway. Mm-hmm. I had the same reaction. It was kind of like, okay, what is this? I don't know. There's some good gags here. But then it, it just quickly devolves into just random pop culture nonsense and i saying as you i absolutely loved it i just all the references all the stupid jokes it was the same thing as you i was like yeah this, this is speaking my language like obscure references and and stuff like that and i just think for that reason that i feel that's one of the reasons why this show has become such a like a it's almost like a cult sensation isn't it mm. you know it's one of those shows it's not as big as perhaps like you know the office or things like that but more and more, I find people are talking about this as time goes on. It just seems to be one of those that keeps building this following. And like the more, you, especially on like you know Twitter and stuff like that, you always find people are referencing this show, and it just seems to keep growing. And I think it must speak to people like us in that sort of pop culture zeitgeist. Yeah, that's it because it doesn't go for the obvious stuff. Like here's a episode around James Bond, or here's an episode around Harry Potter. It went for episodes around. Heart of Darkness or um, My Dinner with Andre, it went for ones which wouldn't seem dated a year after the episode had aired. It goes for stuff mm. which is very funny, but it doesn't isn't reliant on you knowing or being familiar with what they're referencing because it works mm. in of itself as well. Yeah, so it's a show that I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's more accessible than you'd initially think. Mm. You know, because I think that could be quite intimidating as a premise. People might think, oh, if it's going to be referencing all these movies, am I going to get it? But I, I think a great example, that, well, one that just springs to my mind, you can tell me whether you think it's a good one or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really stood out to me because I'm rewatching this at the minute and up to season one. It's where they basically do um, mobster movies, but with fried chicken. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so, a good one. And it references tons of, of gangster films. And I'm not someone who's particularly versed in them, <clears throat> but you still get it. You still get what it's referenced. Even if you don't get all the Godfather, Goodfellas stuff, it's still really funny because you understand the tropes and you understand the whole mafia family thing and what they're doing. And I think it's, it's stuff like that where there's, yeah, you don't have to fully get all the references, but it's, it's playing with the, the archetypes of those stories very well. Yeah, I agree. That's a really good episode. And I would think as well, another really good episode, which does the same thing, is just a couple later, the first mm-hmm. paintball episode they do. Yeah, absolutely. Which I recently found out, directed by Justin Lin, the guy who made the Fast and Furious franchise what it is today. Seriously? Yes. He directed a few in the first season, possibly second. That's insane. How did I not know that? <laughs> but That's incredible. That is really why it feels like such a good action film, as well as a lovely half-hour episode of comedy. Hmm. Well, you're right. Yeah, yeah. It's right there in the in the credits. Absolutely fantastic. And that makes sense because the way that whole thing is shot is amazing. It references you know stuff like The Matrix and Die Hard and all these action movies. But again, you don't have to get it. Like it's just playing around, um, and it all takes place within well, a community college. So it's grounded at a level that's kind of understandable and familiar. Um, Yeah, and I just think that's brilliant. And even the fact that it plays with sitcom tropes, I quite like as well, even in the first season. it, You know, because we've talked a bit on this show about different sitcoms and how, Mm. you know, you get the will they won't they relationships, you get the the different dynamics and characters. 
And someone like Abed, for example, as you say, he's kind of like the fourth wall breaking character that just points all of these things out as you go. And I think for that reason, it just makes it such an enjoyable show to watch because at no point does it kind of get stagnant or, you know, does it kind of fall into those tropes? Or if it does, it's, it does it with a bit of a wink and a nod at the audience. Yeah, it was wonderfully meta, but not too much that it was it was patting itself on the back all the time. No, I will say I would agree, actually, when it comes to it being, yeah, meta, that there is that thing of it not being too smug which mm. is nice and and yeah and it just has fun with it you know it's, it's a it's a sitcom for people I, I would say it's a sitcom for people who love sitcoms because it gives you that extra level on top of it and chances are if, if you yeah if you're somebody who's watched all of friends and all of seinfeld and, and all the shows we've talked about before you'll appreciate the jokes and the way they kind of you know hang the lantern so to speak on certain tropes and then they throw in a bunch of other pop culture references just for good measure but on top of all of that, it's a lot of fun as well. Even if you don't enjoy it on that level, I think there's still something else in it with all of the cast of characters you have. It does feel like a show which is very much its own thing. Like, yeah. you sometimes have some which feel like they blend in together, but on what other mm. sitcom are you going to see an episode with... a zombie episode with the theme, the songs of ABBA playing in the background? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's so much to it and it's that's kind of what i love about it because i feel like the pilot gives you that vibe of like oh okay i see where this is going but mm. then it very quickly abandons that premise within about three episodes <laughs> and he's just kind of like oh okay we're just in for a, a weird ride here all right i'm just gonna go with it why not and it's interesting how as the seasons go on it seems like they're like especially season two and three they seem more committed to doing weird mm. stuff and yeah. hoping the audience will be along come along with it and mm -hmm. i think this really works especially when they suddenly go to oh it's a flashback episode but the flashbacks are to episodes that never aired you've never it's all brand new clips yes. rather than just a cheap yeah. money saving tactic yeah is that it's genius man mm. it's, it's, it's one of those that just yeah I, I absolutely adore it and I would encourage anyone to, to go and see it because um, some of the minds behind it, I mean, you've got someone like Dan Harmon, for example, who people might recognize that name as being the guy behind Rick and Morty mm. and another show. So it's, again, if you can get on board with those kind of, those kind of shows, then like this will be right up your street. It's amazing how many people have gone on from this show to bigger things, not just the cast as well. You got mm. it was scored by Ludwig Goranson, who has gone to score the, Man yes. the Mandalorian, Black Panther, Tenet. He's mm -hmm. a Tony Award away from being an EGOT. He's got yeah, it's unbelievable. And then two little directors, Anthony and Joe Russo, who directed yeah. mm -hmm. some of the last decade's biggest blockbusters, including what was the highest grossing film of all time. It's yeah, and they came from this little show. It's unbelievable this is it this is it people look at it they suddenly realize oh hang on a minute yeah all these big names and they've, they all started here and, it, and it, you can kind of see how that works because again a lot of them you, i get the sense of kind of cutting their teeth with the show and, it, and especially when it's a show that it's not your straightforward uh, you know sitcom when there's just one setup one room people are moving around it's it can be anything like you said you can bring in a guy like justin lynn as an action director and just let him have an absolute whale of a time doing an episode 
And Richard Ayoade directed an episode as well. Did he? Which, which one was that? It was in season two, the My Dinner with Andre Pulp Fiction episode. <laughs> I could, wow, I couldn't see him doing that, but actually that makes sense. That's <laughs> Why not? Why not? Absolutely brilliant. Um, but you, you just mentioned a minute ago the cast, and I think it's definitely something we need to talk about. Oh, and, yeah. it's, and it's obviously core to any sitcom succeeding, isn't it? It's your, your leading group. Mm. And in this case, we've got, I think, some really wonderful performers. So, I mean, just to start with someone who I feel is the MVP of the show, and you've kind of met, made nods to him already, and that has to be Abed Madir. I just feel like he's one of those characters that's one in a million you know what I mean? Like, he's so lovable and likeable. But I kind of love, again, the fact that he's the one that's just pointing out all the stereotypes and tropes and just sort of not quite breaking the fourth wall, but he's he's like seconds away from just looking down the lens of the camera, isn't he? Yeah, he's clearly been grown up on TV and film, and he's very knowledgeable about it to the point it's what literally causing him to be moments away from br- looking directly at the camera and oh mm. am i just repeating what you said huh. no, no no it's fine <laughs> <laughs> oh no but abid is great and danny puddy does really good work because in the wrong hands it could have easily been just another character on the spectrum played for laughs uh mm. like a cheap sheldon cooper and i'm not a fan right. of sheldon cooper from the big bang theory anyway but I think mm. Abed Nadir is streets ahead of that character. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because I feel like with a lot of these characters, they have kind of archetypes or setups in the season, first season, or you know, jokes about their, mm. their background. Um, but all of them just kind of melt away because they're kind of like, well, it's you know, it doesn't really matter, and it's not what defines each character. And yeah, like you said, with with Abed, there is that kind of initial thing of like, is he? hundred percent you know mm. here um but then you realize like it's just his way of communicating and it doesn't really matter and if anything it's incredibly endearing and like you said the way that danny Bundy plays that character is with so much heart and i kind of feel like he has a he's one of the few characters i feel that like truly knows himself like he's so confident about who he is mm. and again i think that's that's a lovely lesson in that as well like whatever he has like i know jo- um jeff makes an off comment about him having uh ashburgers mm. doesn't doesn't matter because he's kind of just like well he knows who he is and he knows what he likes and he's and he's very good at reading other people <laughs> abed you know we just want you to be happy right yeah i know everybody wants me to be happy everybody wants to help me but usually when they find out they can't they get frustrated and stop talking to me or they trick me into buying them ice cream and then shove me into a clothes dryer which i didn't want to happen with you guys so i want to make sure that you felt like you could help me the truth is, lots of girls like me because, let's face it, I'm pretty adorable. Mm-hmm. And uh, my aloofness unconsciously reminds them of their fathers. So. I'm more used to them approaching me. So we didn't damage your self-esteem or anything? Bert, I got self-esteem falling out of my butt. That's why I was willing to change for you guys. Because when you really know who you are and what you like about yourself, changing for other people isn't such a big deal. Yeah, it's like in the first season, the Halloween episode, where he's dressed as Batman and doing the whole Christian Bale gravelly voice. Yeah. <laughs> and Jeff's just like, Abed, you're not Batman. And Abed's just like, oh, no, I'm not Batman. But it doesn't mean you have to be a jerk about it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
it's it's a really interesting portrayal i think um in that way and just yeah an incredible incredible performance just absolutely one of the best characters i think to look out for one of my yeah one of my favorites i would say my mvp um going for a recent rewatch was um mm-hmm. it was donald glover as um troy yeah well, i mean fair play and donald glover's you know, pretty much become an international sensation off the back of this. It seems like every show we talk about, there's at least one or two of them, actors that is, that just go on to be huge. And I can understand why, because um, the character of Troy Barnes is a lot of fun. He's very over the top, very goofy, but yeah, yeah, talk to me about that. Go on, what, what, what sort of made you put him in that category? It seems like he's operating on, oh, I don't know, it's just this wonderful level where... He could have just played it. He could have just played it funny, but he just seems like Mm. he goes above and beyond, like he has some kind of wide-eyed stare, or he really goes over the top with... Mm. um, Like, I'm thinking of this scene from season three, I think it is, where where a cop says, oh, I found this brick in your doorway. It's worth about 60 quid, $60. You should hang on to it, Mm. but I'm just a cop. And when they're discussing the gang are discussing something important troy's like mm. oh my god 60 dollars hello rich people troy's coming to you and it just yeah. <laughs> yeah. just seems like he's putting his all in into this wonderfully silly performance and it's not mm. he can also play it understated like mm. um in your rewatch have you gotten to the episode where pierce is kicked out of the group Yes, yeah. So I'm I'm currently stuck in season one, um, just because of time, but That's I'm loving brilliant. it. It's absolutely brilliant. But yes, that that is a, a wonderful episode. Um, it's just him in the study group when he's got the goat there, and British says something like, <laughs> "It's called sarcasm, Troy. Why don't you ask the goat?" And he turns to the goat, and you believe he's about to ask the goat yeah. it yeah. before he takes a moment. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And there's another line after that where Abed's <laughs> saying, well, Pierce was the lightning rod mm. for all our negativity, and now lightning's going all over the place. And mm. Troy responds with, oh, you've, my uncle got struck by lightning once. You'd think he'd give you superpowers, but it just made him masturbate in theatres. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just has all these like quick throwaway lines. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. So, so good. And... I feel like he he brings a kind of manic energy because his character is this kind of ex-athlete wash-up character. And again, it's a character that's very easy to become sort of one-dimensional, I feel, in, in the wrong hands. The same way that, as you say, with, with Danny Pundi as, as Abed could be a very one-dimensional, you know, oh, he's the quirky one. Hmm. Troy, you know, Troy Barnes, I think he, he has that, there's that wonderful episode I was, I was really enjoying in the first season with... Um, him and Abed where like his his competitive streak comes out so that failed athlete bit does come out and he plays to it to like 110 percent where he's just annoying he's just getting well sorry he's getting really annoyed that Abed is just naturally more gifted at him at certain things and he cannot take it (laughs) and it's very very funny (laughs) but again it's not some that's not all he does that's not his one note like you said he has all these weird stories about you know people he knows or he just has off comments or incredibly stupid moments 
Hey, Troy sneezes like a girl. And how about I pound you like a boy? That didn't come out right. It's one of my favorite moments that you see a gif of everywhere on the internet. Is <laughs> one of the best episodes where it's, it's the revolving pizza. You know what I'm going Yes, with this, where, I know yeah. exactly. And it's the different timelines, which it's such a genius episode. And it's just that bit where he walks back in and it's just bedlam in the flat and you'll people at home you'll know the gif it's just the wide-eyed expression he has when he walks in through the door it's so good and it's like you see it everywhere on twitter as a gif and it's it's perfect his, his physical comedy in this is absolutely brilliant i genuinely think that's one of the best episodes of tv i've ever seen it's oh yeah oh, and yeah i that's such a gifable moment i mean yeah yeah. I, I'm sure I heard on one of your previous episodes about how a show's mm. lasting power is can be in how gifable it is. And absolutely, yeah. And it's that moment and a, another one where the dean's going, This better not awaken anything in me, which just <laughs> seems to be shared endlessly. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, no, it is. It absolutely is. And I'm having a lot of fun over on Twitter at the minute, just sharing moments and retweeting GIFs from the shows that I'm doing. Because, yeah, you're, you're right. And that, that was pointed out. And it's so true. And this this is no exception, this show. Um, but speaking of, of with Donald Glover and Danny Pundi, I feel we have to talk about Troy and Abed as a pair. Because, <laughs> again, I, I hadn't remembered this properly because I was going back and with a lot of the shows we've talked about, it, it, it is often the way with sitcoms, with TV shows in general, it, you find it takes a season or two for them to hit the rhythm mm. of the characters and the pairings that work. But I didn't realise in this one, they kind of get it right from the start. Like by putting Troy and Abba together, it's quite an unusual pairing from what the characters are set up to be in like the pilot episode. But their chemistry is so much fun. And like you get all the Troy and Arbed in the morning stuff like straight away. And I thought it was later on, but watching it back, it's like, oh no, they, they're doing this in like season one. And it's so good. Troy and Abed in the morning. Nice. Welcome back, all you night owls. Troy, why don't we open up the phone lines? Talk to us, lonely hearts. We got Jeff W calling. Hello? Hey, Jeff, what's your question? Who is this? Great question, we're us. You guys, it's three in the morning. I'm trying to sleep. I'm sorry to hear that, Jeff. Why don't you stay on the line and we'll get your information. Yeah, we'll get you the help you need. Our next caller is Annie E. What's on your mind tonight, Annie? Hey, guys, long time, first time, love the show. Uh, appreciate you. How can we help? Jackson Jills, that's about all the time we have tonight. Yeah, until next time, may your dreams be sweet and your nightmares be spooky, monster scary, and not Grandma Died scary. Troy and Abed in the morning. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's at the end of the second episode where they're doing that awesome rap in Spanish. And yeah. Yeah, their chemistry was just, it wasn't so, it doesn't feel like something they workshopped, like this or um, improved later on. It's something which they mm. had an idea and they did it quite well from very early on. And Troy and Abed complement each other very well. It's like they, like Abed is not a good good with change. There's mm. an, another flashback episode later on where you see Abed's just freaking out at the prospect of the clocks going forward an hour. And... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. And Troy obviously helps him through it, but it feels like yeah. as time goes on, as after Troy leaves, 
Abed is a lot more comfortable with change to the point where he's essentially mm. leaving the show and going to do his own spin-off adventures by the end of it. And it works quite well, I think. Yeah, it really, really does. Um, and like you said, I think it is. it has to be natural chemistry. Mm. Like you said, there's no way they, they just played around it. I think they just figured out straight away these guys bounce off each other very, very well. And it's... And it feels... Well, I feel like it's the kind of... I would say Abed is the straight man most of the time, but then I, I feel like they switch that up quite a bit. Like you, like you said, when, when there's moments where he's struggling with change or something, he doesn't know how to communicate, Troy is kind of the straight man, but then it, it kind of flips back and forth because, as we've discovered, as we've discussed, Troy is kind of emotionally unhinged quite often. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's a lot of fun just seeing those two guys just bounce around off each other and just yeah one of, one of the highlights of the show i think mm. no that is right because um later on when they're pursuing troy and britta as a potential relationship troy mm. is on a date but he's constantly worrying about how arbed is and yeah. <laughs> and it's such a good relationship you believe utterly in their friendship that when they go to war in that blankets and pillows two-parter it feels really sad to see them at each other's throats like that yeah yeah that's absolutely right i forgot about that because again i'm, I'm enjoying rewatching this i can't wait to get to, to so many of these moments um yeah absolutely wonderful so i, th I think to be honest that's a, a good shout uh, and again donald glove obviously now has gone through tons of other stuff um you know, not just even acting and music as well, mm. unsurprisingly, but there you go. So kind of working my way through the other cast, why not start at the top here? We've got Jeff Winger, by uh, played by Joel McHale. I think a very interesting protagonist mm. in some ways. You know, like slightly predictable, but played in a way that's enjoyable enough to watch, if that makes sense. Well, if it's any consolation, this is the last time that will ever happen. No, I get what you mean. It's um, You expect him to be the smug, in-love-with-himself type, and John mm. McHale does that very well, but he also does portray the fragile ego of Jeff quite well. Yeah. And it's early on, Jeff says about how he was raised on TV, and he feels like very mm. much a bridge between Arbed and the rest of the group in some yes. ways. And, like, I remember there's one episode where Annie's upset and Jeff's, like, telling everyone, look away, don't let her manipulate you. And Abba's like, oh, don't worry, I only connect yeah. with TV. And then he starts to well up and Jeff says to him, she's the Ark of the Covenant, like, using <laughs> pop culture reference to get through to him. Yeah, that's right. Oh, man, I mean, again... There are clips definitely going in here, um, but yeah, that's that is such a great moment. I forgot about that. There's so there's so many, but yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about that actually, but you're right. Yeah, Jeff is kind of the bridge between him between Abed and everybody else. Really, that's a really interesting observation. It could have been so easy, like in that first episode, like Abed is Jeff's lackey, but mm. they re. I love that they don't go that very obvious route, and. Mm. There's an, I'm just going to continuously go to episodes to reference bits, but... Oh, please Oh, do. God, I'm going full Abed. Yeah, you are. That's fine. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> but there is an episode in season two where Jeff <laughs> takes Britta's phone and starts messaging a guy 
thinking, oh, she needs yeah. to get out there and meh and date online, but he gets it horribly wrong. So then he goes to Abed, like, tries to rope Abed in, saying, Abed, we did this horrible thing. I need, we need to fix it. And Abed just stares at mm. him, not saying anything. Uh, but Danny mm. Puddy gets across that great look of, I did nothing. This is entirely on you. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah, he's not manipulated in any way mm. um, by Jeff. And, and I kind of think that that's the nice thing about Jeff's character is it's, as you say, the kind of the smug, arrogant leading man who is obviously going to learn to better himself. That's kind of foreshadowed heavily in the in the pilot episode of like, you know, these aren't the typical people who could just walk all over. Like they're actually they're a bit more resilient than he realizes. And there's a bit more to life than everything else that he's previously known. So that is like heavily telegraphed. But again, like so many other things about the characters and stuff in the show, it is it kind of falls to the background pretty quickly. <laughs> it just becomes a series of crazy antics and, you know, and it makes sense because I, I forget, but I, uh, towards the end of the show, doesn't he end up becoming like a professor in the in the college as well at some point? Yeah, they eventually bite the bullet and have him graduate. And yeah, essentially they do a repilot, like as they reference Scrub Series 9, where they go continue mm. on the show, but do it in a way which feels natural. So, yeah, they yeah. have Jeff actually teach at Greendale. And <laughs> it's it's a great way to justify staying on at this college without saying, oh, yeah, they're going for a fifth and sixth year taking random mm. courses to get their degrees. It feels natural. And Yeah, because... Sorry, go on. No, I was going to add to that that it makes sense mm. that they made Jeff a former lawyer because... Mm there always seems to be that need to have a speech which ties up everything in a bow, like what Kyle mm. does in South Park. And having it, right. having Jeff be the one who gives it is great because he's a former lawyer. He's used to wrapping things up with a, over the, with a speech on the spot, and it fits his character rather than feeling like a heavy-handed sitcom trope. Yeah, no, that's so true. Again, it's kind of disguising those things, isn't it, within within his character and yeah, I, I thought fair play to him for, for, like you say, biting the bullet with that because the whole premise of the show is him trying to get enough college credit so he can go back to law. And of course, he mm. learns along the way that that's not really a life he wants to go back to. So it's a natural progression for it to go. Um, yeah, I thought that was that was good. And, and John McHale's just, I think, a lot of fun in the role. He's very good at being sarcastic and witty, but also quite good at showing that vulnerability mm. in the episodes where they need where they need to show it. That is right. Um, now, I don't know what your memories of Series 4 are, but mm -hmm. going back through it, I would easily rank it at the bottom of the series and the show. But mm. I would say that series has one of my favourite moments where Jeff confronts his dad and says how his father leaving him affected him and really messed him That's up. Because right. throughout yeah, up yeah. till then, you see that he has... He has father issues and he has abandonment issues and it works really well up to that point. And it, even mm. if it isn't in a series I like, it's a very good moment. You came back. I'm sorry. You should take some credit for who I've become. Okay. So let me tell you how I turned out, just so you're crystal clear on your impact. I am not well-adjusted. And more often than not, I am barely keeping it together. 
I'm constantly texting. And there's no one at the other end. I'm just a grown man who can't even look his own friends in the eye for too long because I'm afraid that they'll see that I am broken. So you get credit for that. Oh, come on now. One time, when I was in seventh grade, I told everybody at school that I had appendicitis. I wanted someone to worry about me. But when Beth Brennan asked to see the scar, I didn't want to get found out, so I took Mom's scissors and I made one. It hurt like hell. But it was worth it because I got 17 cards and I still keep them in a box underneath my bed 22 years later because it proves that someone at some point cared about me. You want to see the scar? So, you get credit for that too. This is me. Hmm. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't got round to that. But yeah, that's um, that's definitely one that stood out to me the first time I watched it. Am I right in thinking that one of those series they had a some writers' strikes or issues? I know one of the series did. Um, series four was they fired Dan Harmon. Um, that's right. Yeah, they replaced him with two showrunners. But it wasn't just him leaving. They had um, like the Russos went off to direct Captain America: The Winter Soldier, and they had a load of yeah. writers and producers leave. So it felt mm. very much off, like it was yeah. trying too hard to be community. And what I said before about they don't go for the obvious pop culture um, homages, mm. it's, you can feel the change when the first episode is a Hunger Games parody, and right. the film yeah, came out right. the summer before that episode. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because that's something I think is worth acknowledging with this uh, particular show. And it happens with quite a few shows. Sometimes you get the weaker points. Um, and this one does have them. Um, it was kind of foreshadowed <laughs> by a couple of my guests who've referenced this already and how the show does kind of peter out eventually. Mm. Um, but I don't necessarily blame the show as a whole. I don't think it's a bad show by the end. I think it's just a case of, as you say, there's writer shakeups and then there's cast members leaving and... And unfortunately, with any sitcom, once you've got the group and you've got them established, as soon as you take even just one person out, mm. it tends to mess with the flow and the dynamic and what was kind of making the show work in the first place. So, Because if I remember correctly, I think um, Chevy Chase is the first one, isn't he, to go? Yeah, there was an instant... I know there were some issues there. <laughs> yeah, um, up until series three, like... Pierce, I think he works as part of the group, but they play mm. up here how awful he can be a bit too much. And it feels mm. like they make strides towards improving him, in se yeah. especially in the by the end of the third season. But then series four, they throw all out to that throw that all out and double down on his racism. Mm. And Chevy Chase, right. that's what caused him to leave. Cause he spoke out that he yeah. didn't like this direction. Unfortunately, he used a very horrible slur while he was speaking out about this racist direction, which right. And as a result, series four, they have him have a restraining order against him for some off-screen stuff, and then okay. a few episodes later, they actually kill him off. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, it's a shame because yeah, I think the character of Piers Hawthorne actually is. It's quite a lot of fun. Again, watching mm. it back over the first season, like he is kind of awful, but they do the thing and they do it. It's what they did in The Office and other shows, the US one that is, um, and other shows where they give the character moments of redemption. Mm. 
or sort of so you can try and understand like there's a bit in the first season I was I'd forgotten about it where um Pierce basically pants um Shirley and it's awful and it's not funny mm. but what's hilarious about it is is like he struggles it, he's kind of like kicked out of the group as we referenced earlier and and then it's this kind of whole thing of him being a bit arrogant and they they have a confrontation later on but he he kind of admits that he actually respects her in that moment and he, and he thinks the reason why you can get away with such a stupid joke is because he thinks there's nothing he can do to bring her down because she's this very powerful woman mm. who's on her own raising kids and is bettering herself for education and it's quite a sweet moment you're kind of like oh yeah he has these little glimmers where like okay he's a bit of a overgrown man baby with a lot of issues but he, he, he's kind of sweet sometimes and he just wants to belong you get that sense from him as the show goes on that, like, as you say, that they allude to his past and his mm. extremely problematic dad. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and you realise, like, you realise, like, ah, this explains a lot. Um, I just, you made me think about one of my favourite episodes where they enter a video game that his dad set up <laughs> in order to get his will. And Giancarlo Esposito shows up as his stepbrother. And it's so so funny but it also explains a lot about his character oh yeah his dad is such an awful person and it mm. you seeing because he actually shows up earlier in the season and it explains so oh, much yeah. mm. and sorry go on no it i was just gonna it explains so much about why pierce is so regressive and the fact that he actually, once his father is passed on, he actually tries to move past that and build a business with Shirley. And it comes to a point where he actually, this guy who used homophobic slurs previously, mm. actually points out that it's wrong to use it towards um, Rob Cordroy's mm. awful lawyer. And mm. it's interesting that they're, genuinely trying to make strides to make the character less awful i suppose yeah yeah as you say it's, it's you've got to take all things in balance and it is unfortunate like you said that the character didn't really get the arc that he deserved mm. towards season four but um, i was i was actually warned about that before i went into the show someone a friend of mine um who recommended it to me did say like oh yeah this season's a bit wonky because some of the writers and directors left and i was like okay and actually yeah, keeping an eye out for it was like, yeah, you, as you said, you could kind of see where things had gone a little bit shaky. Mm. Um, but, you know, it happens. It happens in a lot of shows. And again, nevertheless, I do think that, that yeah, those characters, for example, like like Pierce, is quite a lot of fun. As Abed, as, uh, Abed says in season one, is their lightning rod, at the very least, mm. for a few seasons. And you can, it especially more noticeable because Dan Harmon comes back for the final two series to run it. And yes you can feel the quality has come back up and mm. uh granted once donald glover leaves you feel like there's something missing and there's a bit of a struggle yeah. to in it when it continues on but there mm. is still so many good moments despite that like um possibly my favorite singular moment from the show where dean pelton okay. just comes in dressed as a giant peanut bar and does that rap 
Quick announcement for two of Greendale's finest. Payday is postponed until next week, so this is my freestyle rap apology. Well, I'm a peanut bar, and I'm here to say your checks will arrive on another day. Another day, another dime, another rhyme, another dollar. Another stuffed shirt with another white collar. Criminals, Wall Street, taking the pie, and all the black man gets is a plate of white lies. Prisons recruiting them, police be shooting them, rap artists looting them, labels all diluting them. Barack Obama, he's scared of me, cause I don't swallow knowledge and I spit it for free. Let me clear my throat. Ha, ha, ha. I don't know what that was, I don't. I don't know what that was. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Do you know what, what? Now you've mentioned him, not one of the core group, but definitely somebody who is one of the core players, really. Let's be honest. Oh, Jim yeah. Rash as Dean Pelton. What a sensation. Just like you said, for, for, as a character who just does stuff like that all the time, who mm. runs around in various costumes, making all sorts of bizarre comments and ideas. It, it's just a really fun character because, again, it could be... It could be an easy stereotype to play. You know, when you have a Dean character in kind of college humour films or sitcoms, he's usually the straight-laced, you know, trying to stop all the fun. Or as, you know, kind of the desperate, ev just everybody love me character. <laughs> and he's somewhere in the middle, but is also nowhere near either of those things. Like, he, he wants to get on with it, everybody, he wants the school to be a success. But he's also a complete lunatic at the same time. <laughs> oh, yeah. The reason this study group gets to have so many adventures and so many school-shattering events like paintball or the floor is made of lava yeah. is he's just indulging their every whim. He just wants yeah. to please people, but he wants so much to get the study group to like him. And just mm. and you know what? Jim Rash must be having an absolute blast he's this oscar-winning screenwriter who gets to put on these wonderful costumes touch joel McHale's chest right. a few times he must be loving it that's so true i forgot yeah he was a screenwriter before he did this what, what did he um what did he get it for now that you said that, the descendants oh that's what it was hmm. i don't think i've seen that but still like fair play it's a good film yeah he's yeah what a talent and I remember hearing in some interviews behind the scenes that apparently like he was kind of the dark horse of the show. Like he was the guy that when it came to like improvising and stuff like that, like a lot of the other cast felt intimidated doing a scene with him because he could just ad lib some insane stuff. <laughs> and, like, I feel like every show has at least one person mm. who's really good at stuff like that. And it's, you can tell it's him because he said he's, he's just having an absolute blast running around in these stupid costumes. And even you mentioned it, yeah, it was a bit of a cheap trick to do a, a Hunger Games episode. It's still very funny with him dressing up in, in all the sort of Katniss dresses that he manages just to get a hold of, like changes them every five minutes. And <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I just remember him doing stuff like that or dressing up as a Dalmatian and just all sorts of weird stuff. <laughs> or there's a series three episode where he dresses half, he's the Dean and half as a housewife. And he's doing like back yes. and forth. And yeah. he has a blast with it. He goes <laughs> off and then he comes back and he's like, right, I didn't think this through. I need to go to the bank. And what am I going to say with all this? Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. One, one of the best characters, hands down. Um, 
I think speaking of, of other staff members, I've just clocked here, uh, Ken Yong, uh, Senor Chang. I mean, good grief, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> talk about talk about insane staff members. Like this he takes it to another level. Um just yeah, I mean people might know Ken Yong for like the hangover films mm. and stuff like that, but I feel like this is where he really got to shine if you watch this series. Oh, like yeah. just from day one, he's as a as a Spanish teacher that is just very clearly unhinged in every sense of the word. And I don't want to have any conversations about what a mysterious, inscrutable man I am. <laughs> I am a Spanish genius. In Espanol, my nickname is El Tigre Chino. Because my knowledge will bite her face off. So don't question Senor Chang, or you'll get bit. You bit. You bit. When you get to the end, it's very interesting to see how Chang has, the where Chang has gone. The fact that, yeah, he starts out as a Spanish teacher, then mm. it's discovered he's fraudulent, so he becomes a student trying desperately to get into the study group. And then he becomes a yeah. security guard who becomes a warlord that takes over the school. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. and in <laughs> series six, they introduced this character, Frankie, played by Padgett Brewster. Oh. And yeah, there's this right. excellent bit where she's just utterly baffled at the idea that Chang, who's with them mm. and just been this crazy this crazy guy who's can't even do PowerPoints and is mucking up egg tricks. He who just mm. would used to teach at that school. And the idea. Yeah. Oh, but it's so mm. good. And, and he, he's responsible. He's responsible for like one of the sort of, one of my favorite things ever is you would see people reference Chang um, when he's when he shouts gay mm. in the back of the classroom to heckle Jeff. Ha! Gay! And it's like the way he says it is, is it's a very funny delivery. But it's one of those things I've heard so many times in passing, like people make. And then I always I'm always like, do you know what that's from? And the amount of people that don't know. And it, but it blows my mind. It's one of the reasons I love the show. I'm like, it's a show that's exclusively about pop culture references and people are referencing it without understanding that. I just. I love that so much. <laughs> He's responsible for so many great, gifable, memeable, stupid moments. Oh, yeah. Another one I see is when he's um, oiling himself up and just to yeah. get in the vents. And Prom John can yeah. really do it well with playing it over the top and understated. Mm. But um, yeah. there's an episode in Series 5 where they're doing the polygraph test. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Chang is just like, oh, come on, ask me anything. And he's asked whether he's ever touched himself in the study room. And he just simply right. takes it off and walks out without saying a word. Yeah. <laughs> and then later cool. on, he comes back and he's just like, I did it everywhere. Everywhere! Oh, yeah, and it's that he just screams. Yeah. He's so, yeah, he's so over the top. And I love the fact that Chang becomes like a verb by the end of the show. And he's like, was well, he turns up after crawling out of the sewers and he's like, I have Changnesia. 
and there's like a whole documentary episode where they're trying to work out oh, if yeah. he's just faking it or not. And it's just, it's so over the top and ridiculous, but it's hilarious. <laughs> um, oddly enough, he's not the only one whose name becomes a verb because Britta, right. Britta, her u- name is used to mean yes. mucking something up. And like, have you Brittered this up? Or you are the mm. Britta of people. No, Britta of people. They use it a lot as a verb to... And it's just a they wonderful do. thing. It is. And I, I kind of feel sorry for the, the character of Britta Perry, uh, as played by Gillian Jacobs, because it's quite a funny one, though, because you kind of start out initially think, oh, she's the cool, you know, chick mm. that's, that Jeff's trying to get with and it's never going to happen, whatever. You know, it's going to be the will they, won't they? That all goes away very quickly. And you kind of realise what I liked. And I also felt a little bit sorry for the character because she becomes very unlikable very quickly. It's this whole thing of uh, it's kind of making fun of people basically who are more interested in saying they have a cause than actually doing anything to help a cause and they address that quite early on in like season one where there's that whole protest episode and and she's kind of annoyed because everyone's just like we're having a bake sale or we're doing this to help (laughs) with this country that we've never heard of (laughs) <laughs> and she thinks you need to be like you know suffering if you're going to be basically doing protests in order for it to be legitimate and like you say that's where that whole thing with that of that suddenly starts to snowball and her character becomes known as this very boring person knock knock who's there cancer oh good come on in i thought it was britta that's right. She. It's interesting how she begins as this independent anarchist and love interest for Jeff, but then it feels like they do to her what they did with, in It's Always Sin- Sunny in Philadelphia with um, Caitlin Olsen's yes, character, with... where, yeah, 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 the character finally is able to just cut loose and join in with this zany fun. Mm. Yeah, and she does it well. Like, and I, th- I think the character of her is, is a lot of fun and she, she kind of becomes a bit more unhinged, I think, towards the end of the series when she's jumping from major to major and trying to figure out what she's doing and what she wants in life. And but then, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, I seem to remember an episode where, like, again, they kind of address that because I think you meet her parents, don't you? Mm. Yeah. And her parents turn out to be like the most lovely, supportive people you've ever met. <laughs> and it's quite a lot of fun. It's like her just looking for a cause or something to rebel against and, like, this entire persona is just based around teenage angst which i think was quite clever yeah it is interesting because she brings up in that episode where how her parents were she thought they were the worst but everyone else can only see the good stuff which had come with time Mm. which um is referenced as jimmy fallon syndrome yes (laughs) that's right (laughs) oh it's so yeah that's so true but but no, in fairness, again, she's she's a fun character. I think has a lot of of great lines and and tricks. And I'm and I like that, even though they kind of turn her into a little bit of um a a joke, sort of as the show mm. goes on, the, the actress clearly leans into it. And and they, again, I like the fact that they kind of did away with the will they won't they because I like a good will they won't they in a sitcom. But it's very clear that that her and Jeff are just not compatible whatsoever. I prefer them as not rather than mm. one of those dragged out will they, won't they? Because I think they did yeah. it best where they were just 
cut it off at the beginning of series one no at the beginning of series mm. two and then close to the end they reveal oh no they've actually been hooking up in secret all this year and mm. it's just <laughs> just makes sense that and they're not even <clears throat> they know they're not going to work as a actual couple so they just go mm. and do it anyway and <laughs> mm. and yeah Gillian Jacobs no. does go all in and she is so so committed and it's wonderful to watch. Mm, it really, really is. Um and yeah, I think again it's just another way of bypassing another trope mm. because it, it wouldn't make sense for the show to lean into that. Um uh, and speak speaking of other characters, of course we're now getting up to the others. I mean Alison Bree as as Annie Edison Annie Edison, sorry. I mean Alison Bree, anyone who's watched Mad Men or Bojack Horseman or just I don't know anything of, of <laughs> sort of TV in the last decade you've seen her in it because she's just incredible and she's no exception in this. Oh, she is excellent and it's interesting. They begin her as like the nice goody goody overachiever, and once yeah. once she moves in with Troy and Abed, she kind of gets mm. roped up into their fun to the point that once Troy leaves, it feels like she's. She's pairing up with Arbed to do the zany stuff Troy used to do with Arbed, and but it doesn't feel mm. off. Um, it yeah. There's an episode where Arbed dresses as Batman and goes to confront his one his landlord, uh, which is spun yeah. out of a lie which Annie has told because she does want to admit she broke his DVD of The Dark Knight, um, and what? Troy's just by the time Arbed's scaling down the scaling down on a makeshift grappling hook to get down there. Troy's just like, you were meant to ground us. What is this? <laughs> oh! Troy, what are we going to do? Now you're open to input. I'm following him. You moving in here was supposed to tone us down. It's one of those characters that, again, similar to the, to the Troy Barnes, because they, they come from the same school. Mm where she's somebody who is a high achiever, you know, in education, but has a, a breakdown, um, as is revealed in the, in the show. And so, again, I think she brings that kind of energy to it where, yeah, if you pair up with Arbed, she can be a straight man, you know, when Arbed's not figuring life out or, you know, not coping with something. But then at the same time, she can also bring that manic energy to the character that can suddenly just lose it and is not very emotionally stable. The only reason I slammed Jeff's head against the table was because I wanted to feel like an adult. So yeah, you can get you can get those moments what you said they're in a completely ridiculous situation. It's like, hang on, how did you get here? And it's like, oh yeah, she's she's got that in her still. She's not like a hundred percent there. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. It's a it's a it's a really fun character and she has some great moments. Um I think Again, just watching over the first season, there's. I think it's when Chang threatens to like give everyone a lower grade or something really simple, and she just and the scream that she does. I'll see if I put it in here because it's it's really funny. It's really <laughs> over the top. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, she is. Oh, the cast is all committed, and her especially. Mm. Um, it bothered me like because they after they leave mm. Jeff and Britta behind yeah. it they it bothered me they went for jeff and annie as a kind of will they want day off the show because yeah that, it's a weird one isn't it 
Yeah, because when they begin, she's 18 and he mm. he's about 35. So he's mm. nearly double her age. And it just feels a bit creepy in that regard. Yeah, and I, I, I don't think they ever really address it fully because I, you have to, obviously you, you'd know because you've seen it mm-hmm. recently. If I remember correctly with the way the series ends... It's never really addressed, is it? There's kind of like a... I seem to remember like a fantasy sequence or something. But he imagines coming home to her as like a homemaker type in that sort of scenario. But something's not quite right. And it's never like fully resolved or be like, yes, they live happily ever after. It's more just kind of open-ended, it seems. Mm. That's what I remember anyway. Yeah. um, From what binging six seasons of this show in two weeks, it seems like... (laughs) Yeah, I'm committed. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, you gave me an excuse to dive back into this show. Thank you. That's what we like. That's all right. <laughs> but um, it feels like, because at the end of the first season, Jeff kisses Annie, and it feels yes. like they do address um, after that how it shouldn't have happened and how Jeff was creepy for doing that. And yes. It feels like after series two, they still hint at them two as being a thing, and it feels less knowing about the age gap. And then yeah. by the time you get to the the moment you mentioned, the dream sequence, it's Jeff's struggle to let go that people are moving on, that this family mm. he built are going their own ways, and it's him mm. imagining a life with Annie, but... Annie in his fantasy says to him, but are you sure this is what I want? And Yeah, hmm. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which is as much as much as Jeff can romanticize it, Annie's still a person with her own wants and her own dreams, and she makes the decision to go and work for the FBI at the end of it. And mm-hmm. I mean, okay, that's a direction. And it's just Interesting, they don't have her... I like that they do that. They don't have her suddenly be swept up in the charms of Jeff and this guy she's had a girlhood crush on for years. She has her own agency, she chooses what to do herself, and she goes her own way. Yeah, which is is fair enough. And again, it's it's just an all-round amazing performance. And I I feel like, in credit to her as well, because she's another one who's going on to more and more stuff you know she i don't think ever really phoned it in no performance. it always feels very genuine which is nice because you know for a lot of these actors if their star is rising as the show goes on you can understand the temptation to want to leave or kind of be like you know like you said if people are coming and going they might think oh, okay this has run its course for me mm. um, which some of them did and that's fair enough but yeah, i like that she stuck it out um I made a really good go of it. Um, and, and someone else, I think, who did nearly as many, I've got here 99 episodes, uh, was Yvette uh, Nicole Brown as Shirley Bennett. Oh, yeah. I A real, like, comedy assassin in this show. Like, again, watching it back over, like, she's got so many great lines where she kind of just, like, mutters something to herself. And I love I loved the interplay of her kind of going like, ooh, that's nice. And then suddenly being like, like muttering something really dark under her breath. And that just, she, she plays that so well. It could be, again, it could be a stereotype, mm. but it's done with so much, a kind of, I guess, I don't know, 
flavor, if that makes any sense. Like she adds so much to it that it's just, it's really enjoyable to watch. Jeff and I do not have sexual tension. We just argue all the time. Oh, just like Sam and Diane. I hated Sam and Diane. It feels like they're constantly contrasting with the idea of this mother of two becomes free and she's mm. she's so church loving and trying to find the goodness of everything but she has this darkness underlining her like you'll yeah. remember in the first episode when she mentions when annie's saying oh, i want to be treated like uh, not a little girl and shirley says like well you have to know if you don't get treated like a little girl that can end with your face being pushed into a jukebox and <laughs> yeah yeah she comes out with stuff like that and you're like hang on what? <laughs> what did you just say and some of my favorite uh, subplots with her are when she's paired up with jeff because it feels like yeah. she's trying it feels like she can drop the fa facade a bit and be mm. a bit more of herself that she's trying to rather than putting on this happy motherly um lovely mask around everyone like when they're joking about um british boyfriend having tiny nipples or when yeah. <laughs> when they're having that um grueling foosball match in the third season mm. it, it they're a lovely pairing and it's sometimes with shows like this there's like, they'll pair off a load of characters and mix them up a bit but there tends to be one or two which are like why didn't we ever see them together and this mm. feels like one which could have been lost in the mix, but by having them actually explore it, it strengthens the characters and especially makes a nice little relationship. Yeah, and I feel like they, they're they very clever about how they tap into her sort of maternal instincts as mm. well. Like it's not, you know, yes, she's a mum and it is part of her character, but it's not her entire character which is nice. Like you said, she'll have adventures with Jeff where she's just gossiping a lot and, and having fun. Um, but then there's like, I was watching one of the other episodes uh, recently where she's trying to help Britta explore how to navigate the woman's bathroom properly mm. and, and, to, and to express herself emotionally. And like that's her maternal instinct kicking in. And, it, and it's really sweet. And it's a very funny kind of observation on that. But again, it, that's not her entire character, which I think is really good. No, it's wonderful layers upon layers with these characters, so they're not just two-dimensional, yeah. they're multifaceted. Yeah, absolutely. And and as a cast, I think just, I, like you said, you can pair any one of them up together and it's always fun because they're all so unique and I, and I feel like they just, they all seem to bounce off each other really well. Like there's, there's little things they can all kind of connect with, uh, with each character, which is just lovely. I think, and it's just yeah, one of the one of the many reasons to go and check out this show for sure. Yeah, they really feel like they're un united as a cast on screen and mm. off screen. And yeah. <laughs> one of the things which seemed to unite them behind the scenes is they absolutely hated the show Glee. Right. <laughs> okay. Like, um, John McHale and Ken Jong did a podcast last year. Um, talking about mm. their time on community and getting and it was revealed they filmed opposite where Glee was filmed and there was a bit right. of frustration like the show is doing so well and community is struggling to stay on the air and barely anyone's bothering with us and mm. that's why you got some episodes where they'll just put in jabs to Glee and 
they got mm. a Christmas episode in the third season, which is just a complete Mickey take of the show. Right, and right. to be fair, the joke's on them because I don't hear anyone calling for a Glee movie. Yeah, this is it. Six seasons and a movie. Exactly. We've got the six seasons. I'm I'm up for a movie, although I do feel like it's very difficult at this point um, just to bring them all back in some way or another. But who knows? Who knows? Stranger things do happen. Mm, hopefully. I mean, I suppose it'd be easier to do a movie than another season show. That is true. That is true. And it could be some fun flashbacks where they play around and that would be a good excuse to bring Pierce back, even just for That's a true. few minutes. Just because I think you need that interplay with all of them. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I'm just looking now at even, even some of the supporting cast, like the recurring ones. One of my absolute favourites, I didn't know this guy's name, but I just know him as Leonard, um, played by a guy here called Richard uh, Erdman. Mm. He's great, just this grumpy old man that just randomly turns up in episodes, like usually has one line and then just disappears. <laughs> it's tons of fun. And ever, he's always told to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and everyone's horrible to him, but he's really funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's Garrett as well, uh, played by Eric Charles Nielsen, just this screaming man-child oh. who just... He's, 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 he's never has a quiet scene, does he? Like, every bit he's in, he's always, like, screaming his life. That poor actor must have had... His vocal cords must have been fried by him in a show. Oh, Absolutely. Um, although I wonder if he was as annoyed at having um, stars shaved into his face as uh, a star burns was. <laughs> I'm just reading them off now. I'm just looking at <laughs> some great characters. And even John Oliver, you know, was, was in there for a little oh, bit yes. as well. Uh, you mentioned, yeah, Paget Brewster as Frankie Dart is a lot of fun. One of my absolute favourite actors of all time, and I'm so glad he's in this, uh, towards the end was Jonathan Banks as Professor Buzz Hickey. One of my favourite gags of the entire show, where he's an illustrator who can't draw ducks. <laughs> <laughs> and he keeps repeating, publishers are interested about his duck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looked like you were doodling chickens. He is a duck! Uh-oh. I think just as someone who's a big fan of, of him um, playing Mike Ermintrout, mm. seeing him in this show, in that role. Oh, I loved it. I loved it so much. It was so nice just to see him do a comedy. He's only in it for 11 episodes, like, towards mm. the end. But, yeah, absolutely hilarious. Uh, really, really good. The reason he didn't come back was because um, he reprised his role of Mike in Better Call Saul instead. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Um, and as someone who's rewatching that show at the moment, I'm glad he did. Because, oh boy. But, yeah, like, it's it's a show that it gets its, its guests stars and every so often and it it has a ton of fun with them oh, yeah. uh, just clocks and i almost forgot about this john goodman's in this oh, yes. for like six episodes and he's they do goodwill hunting but with plumbing don't they <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> troy's thing in about series yeah. two and three because that's right yeah and he's kind of and john goodman's kind of like the villain of that story <laughs> yeah but, he's trying to manipulate uh, troy into joining the air conditioning school that's right that's right <laughs> it's it's so great but again like an excellent excellent use uh of that character i mean jack black's in an episode in season one i forgot <laughs> i was re-watching it and i was like oh yeah this is that's this season he turns up oh yeah 
So I've had Brie Larson's on here. I've got, um, who do I just see? John Michael Higgins, I love, as Professor Whitman. He's doing... Oh, um, yeah. He's doing... Oh, Dead Poet Society. Dead Poet Society. <laughs> um, but again, it's it's just it's so much fun. It's so much fun. And again, they call it out for what it is, like, straight away. But he doesn't care. He just leans into it and is... It's just a really, really fun performance. And you won't be disappointed, basically. If you're watching this show, you'll, there's a lot of like, oh, it's that guy. Oh, it's that person. Um, which, as you mentioned earlier, with with the kind of writers that they have and the, and the directors, it's not surprising mm. that some of these people do eventually turn up here. I mean, one of my favourite um, lesser-used, one of my favourite recurring characters is Magnitude. Magnitude. Who plays Magnitude? Um, I think he's uh, Luke Youngblood, I think his name is. He was in the first two Harry Potter films. But he's the one who always oh, right. pops up okay. and goes, pop, pop. Oh, yeah. See, I'd forgotten about that as well. It's <laughs> another great character. Oh, my God. I just, again, I'm scrolling now. I'm just looking at the cast and it's like, yeah, if you can think of someone, they've been in this show, basically. Everyone has been in this show. Um, and it's and for good reason because as we said it's it's a show that just it has so much fun in every episode and it's completely unpredictable which is what I quite like you're watching it especially for the first time you have no idea what one episode is going to be from the next mm. and I think that's another thing that makes it enjoyable even though as you said it maybe the chemistry changes a bit towards the end and it's, it's not quite the same it's still unpredictable and it's still a lot of fun to watch even the last seasons I remember enjoying because I thought I did, had no idea what was coming next mm. No, that's right. Um, there's some shows where a bad season can just ruin it for you. Like, I don't yeah. think I could rewatch yeah. Dexter or Game of Thrones again after their final seasons. But Community, okay. I could happily rewatch because the high points are too darn good to let um, a few low points just spoil it for you. Yeah, exactly, man. And that's fair enough. That's totally fine. That's. I love to hear that. I genuinely do. Um, it's it's wonderful. And again, the more I talk about this, like I'm rewatching this one anyway right now. But yeah, definitely going to be keeping with that. Oh my goodness. Um, I just want to know, James, is, was there anything else you wanted to talk about with this show? Because I feel like we've gone all over the place with it. Um, I don't know if there's anything else. Um, but um, I'll just give a little fact. Um. Season six went. Oh, please do. Season six went to Yahoo Screen, and yes, yeah. they thought, "Oh, we're going to draw in the fans for this. This is going to be a mm. profit. We're putting a lot into this, but this is going to turn out real good in the long run." Mm. Um, it resulted in a forty-two million dollar write down, with which Ooh. ended with Yahoo Screen being shut down. <laughs> Oh, that's that's a brutal fact to end. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what though? Again, I'm not surprised by that. I was wondering actually what happened to the Yahoo screen because yeah, I remember I remember that. I remember the adverts coming out mm. over here, and I was completely on board with this show by then. I remember thinking, yeah, oh great, I'll watch it. Going to try and even sign up, but over here in the UK we couldn't. No. So I think that's probably might be some of the reason why this collapsed in on itself like a dying star because it was a streaming service that wasn't available in quite a lot of countries mm. so if you do that you 
you're massively uh, you cut you've cut off your legs really, don't you? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with streaming services being so prevalent, surely it should be made available mm. to as many people as possible. I mean, yeah, Disney Plus yeah. we didn't get for nearly a whole year in the UK, and the man, mm. so many people in the UK had pirated The Mandalorian before it even came out over here, and that's yeah, that's right. That's the thing when you don't make it available, people end up turning to piracy, which just harms your product mm. in the long run. Yeah, so there you go. I like to think that's more of a reflection on Yahoo's management than it is the the show itself. <laughs> Shall we say? Let's go with that. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, James, for your time. I, I guess really, what's left to ask you is where can the good people find you? Well, if you're not sick of me by now, I'm over on Twitter and Letterboxed at RoddersJ04. And my reviews and articles and any podcast appearances I make are over available to at thereviewingrodders.co.uk. And I also co-host a, um, a podcast called Invasion of Potty People, which is a monthly lo- look at um, at the news, which is ha- at the news at giving out film recommendations, at reviewing films at all horror centric and that can be found under snakebite horror uh, from your local podcast providers so yeah go check it out brilliant thank you very much i'll be putting links to, to all of that in the show notes uh, so james thank you for coming on the show thanks for having me and there we have it thank you so much james for coming on to the podcast and sharing your love of community with all of us i'm sure you guys listening at home enjoyed that just as much as i did Go and follow James. I've put links to all of his uh, social medias and his projects. It's all there for you to go and check out. Make sure you do so. As also, I want to give a big thank you, as always, to Alex Jenkins, who designs the artwork for the podcast. If you like the look of the logo, definitely go and check out his details that are also in the show notes and hit him up for some work of your own. You will not be disappointed. If you are enjoying the podcast, then you can find my social media links all in the show notes for you as well you can go and give us a follow come and say hi you can leave a nice five-star review on your favorite podcatcher if you do let me know because of course you're going to shout out on the podcast and if you'd even like to be on the show potentially then don't hesitate to reach out to me i'm open to ideas and topics and guests my uh, email and social media is all in the links for you below that's about it for me on this episode but i will be back again next week with another guest and another sitcom, and I will leave you with a little clue as to what is coming up. So, until next time, stay tuned and stay safe. the name Sturgis was synonymous with tools. Well, until Cloud9 moved in up the street and then a month later we lost everything. Hey, has anyone seen the laser level? Doesn't it make you a little angry to be working for them? Oh, I don't waste my time with anger. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) look at that, I hit my finger.